Amen. It's wonderful to be a part of this wonderful family of faith and to be celebrating International Language Ministries weekend and, of course, even more importantly, Pentecost weekend. We are here because of what God has done among us. We're in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22 this morning. It's a wonderful passage which ties right into the theme of this morning. A question, what is God building? What is God building? Last week, we were talking about the Porsche car, which is a a beautifully designed car with a very specific purpose. And we learned that you and I, even more so, have been crafted with a purpose. From before the foundation of the world, God had us in his heart, in his mind. He chose us. And in Jesus, we have been recreated for good works. And so God has designed us with the purpose. We're his workmanship. That word means that we're his masterpiece. We're his work of art. You and I, specifically designed by God, within the heart of God, before creation. And here we are with a purpose. God fills our lives with meaning. What about us as a people, as a community of faith? Does God have a purpose for us as his people? If you go to Turkey today, you'll find the ruins of Ephesus south of Izmir. And you will also find the ruins of a temple. Uh, Ephesus was a city with people from all over the Roman Empire. And what dominated the landscape, at least one of the pieces that dominated the landscape, was was this temple to Artemis. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. They started building it in 550 BC. It took them 120 years to build it, and it stood until 400 AD. And so it was there, dominating the landscape for almost a thousand years. It was massive. It covered two football fields. There were 100 marble columns, 55 feet high. At the center of this temple stood an image to Artemis, the fertility goddess. People came from around the Roman Empire to worship her at this site. You can imagine the daily activity around the temple to Artemis, the the sacrifices being made to her. And so when Paul writes to the Ephesians, does he have this kind of structure in mind? What are the Ephesians to live in Ephesus? Are they to, to dream of a wonder like the temple to Artemis? What, is God, what will God build in Ephesus? How will the Ephesians be a part of that? And the question for us today is, what is God building in the world today? And how do we as followers of Jesus participate in what God is doing? Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you that we don't have to walk in ignorance, that you are present by your spirit to teach us And we just submit ourselves to you again, Jesus. We humble ourselves before you, and we ask that you teach us by your Spirit this morning. May nothing I say stray from your word. May only your life-giving word remain with your people to spur them on, to encourage them, to build them up, and where needed, to correct them. Thank you, Jesus, for this moment, and we humbly ask that you teach us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So the main point of this message is Jesus, our peace, has reconciled us to God 
and each other. We're a new people where God is pleased to dwell. And God actually expects us to live this reality. Jesus is our peace. He's reconciled us to God and each other. God is pleased to dwell among us, and we are to experience this reality of his presence. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So Paul begins these verses with the word therefore. He's building on what he has already said in chapters 1 and 2. And you'll remember from chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 that Paul stated categorically that the Ephesians and all of us, when we were outside of Christ, we were spiritually dead. We were spiritually bound to the flesh, the world, and the devil. We stood condemned. Paul says in these verses, verses 11 and 12, to the Gentiles in particular there in Ephesus, remember. Two times he says, remember. Jews and Gentiles, they weren't very kind to each other. The Jews would often call the Gentiles a name, the uncircumcision. And what they were saying by that was, you're outside of God's chosen people. But it wasn't just a mean name. There was actually spiritual significance to this. Look at verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. And so in that season of, of, before they knew Christ, they were actually separated from the life of God. They didn't know God. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. These two phrases are similar. And so he's saying to the Gentile believers in Ephesus, You did not know about the rich history of God's work with Israel. You knew nothing of the covenant with Abraham. Nothing of the covenant with Moses. Nothing of the covenant with David. You had no idea how God was actually relating to his people. No understanding of God's covenant promise with Abraham that he would bless all the nations of the earth through Abraham. Knew nothing about the coming of the promised Holy Spirit, that promise of the Father. Having no hope and without God in the world. You had no idea how God worked. You were clueless. Temples littered the landscape. You had all kinds of gods, but you were immersed in idolatry. You actually didn't know that God wanted to relate to you. You had no concept of the God revealed to Abraham, Moses, and David. That's strong language. (laughs) Can we say that today, that all of those outside of Christ are without hope and without God in the world? Who were we before we came to Jesus? One of my friends is here this morning, Hakan. We met about seven years ago in Istanbul, and I knew from our first encounter that Hakan was a man full of the Holy Spirit, and he was following Jesus. But I want him to tell us who he was before he met Jesus, Hakan, and his wife, Ashai. Yeah. Peace to you all, my dear brothers and sisters. It's an honor for us to be here. Ben 20 yıl önce İsa Mesih'e iman ettim. I believed in Jesus 20 years ago. 21 yıl önce çok çılgın bir hayatım vardı. Bar, motosiklet, uzun saç, kızlar, her şey. 
Before that, I had a very crazy life. Life, money, bottles, girls, motorcycles, leather jacket, boots. Her şey güzeldi hayatımda. Six packs, then. <gülüyor> Now Turkish muscle, big one. <gülüyor> okay, okay. Everything was great in my life. Love, love you, honey. <gülüyor> Sonra her şey değişti. But suddenly everything changed. O gülen Hakan, ağlayan Hakan olmaya başladı. Crying Hakan. Laughing Hakan became a crying Hakan. Kötü ruhların saldırısı başladı yaşamımda. I was under the attacks of demons. Kötü rüyalar görmeye başladım. Bad dreams. İnsanlardan kaçmaya başladım. Isolated myself. Hayatım mahvoldu. No life at all. Müslüman bir Türk olarak camiye gittim, Kur'an okudum, namaz kıldım, her şeyi yaptım. As a Turkish Muslim, I read Quran, I did namaz, I went lots of mosques to, to receive my healing. Birçok kez Muhammed Ali diye dua ettim, ağlayarak yalvardım beni kurtar diye. I prayed, oh Muhammed, oh Ali, please save me. Ama hiçbir şey olmadı. Nothing changed Sonra either. doktora gittim, beni doktora götürdüler. Then I went to a psychologist. Uzun uzun konuştum, ilaçlar kullandım ama bu işe yaramadı. gave me lots of medicines, I took them but nothing changed either. Bir yıl geçti. One year passed like that. Artık ölmek istiyordum. So I didn't want to live anymore. Yaşamak istemiyordum. No hope. Ve o gece yattım, tekrar kötü ruh saldırdı. I was under the attacks of demons at that night. Kıpırdayamıyordum ve bir elimi uzatmaya çalışıyordum. I was awake but I couldn't move. I reached out my hand just like asking for help. Sonra bir el gördüm, o karanlık o parlayan bir el gördüm. And then I saw a white, pure, shiny hand appear in my little dark room. Çok korktum, odadan kaçmak istedim. I was very scared and I wanted to leave my room. İki kere ses duydum. Dedi korkma, korkma. Then I heard a voice two times. Don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Ağlayışın ve yalvarışın duyuldu. Elimi tut, kurtulacaksın dedi. I heard your prayers and crying. Hold my hand and you'll be saved. Ele dokunamadan bir genç erkek beden oldu ve kayboldu. I couldn't touch the hand and hand disappeared and a human body appeared instead. Benim arkadaşım Türk Hristiyan arkadaşımdı. Sabah hemen yanına gittim. A Turkish Christian of mine, so I went to him the next morning. Dedim bu ne demek? I explained everything what I went through. Bana İncil'den gösterdi. Dedi ki İsa seni iyileştirebilir, İsa kurtarabilir. He shows me the scriptures in, from the New Testament and said only Jesus can heal you. Dedim İsa, Musa fark etmez. Biri beni kurtarsın yeter. I said I don't care Jesus or Moses. I just need to be saved. <gülüyor> Kilise bana sonra bana dua ettiler kilisede. And at, I went to that Turkish church and they prayed over me. Beş dakika sonra vücudum yanmaya başladı. Five minutes later I felt fire on my body. On dakika sonra yarışı top gibi yerde zıplıyordum. Ten minutes later I was on the floor bumping like a ball. Duyduğum şey şuydu. İsa'nın adıyla çık. Terk were, et bu bedeni. They were praying that in the name of Jesus leave his body. Kalktığımda her şey değişmişti. When I stood up there was a smile on my face again. Bir ay her şey güzeldi. One month, everything was great. Bir ay sonra kötü ruhlar geri geldi tekrar. At the end of one month, demons came back. Tekrar kiliseye gittim. So I went to the church again. Dedim ne oluyor? And I asked what's going on. Dedi çıkan kötü ruhlar geri gelir. Daha He showed kötü me scriptures again. Demons come back seven times worse than before. Dedi ya iman edeceksin ya ölüp delireceksin dediler so bana. So you have two options: believe in Jesus and be saved, or go crazy and die. <gülüyor> Real church. <gülüyor> Sonra düşündüm kim beni kurtarıyor? Then I thought who saved me? Camiye gittim, doktora gittim, hiçbir şey değişmedi. As a Muslim, I went to the mosque, I prayed, I also went to a psychologist, nothing changed. Ama İsa'ya geldiğim zaman beni elimi tutup kurtarıyordu. But when I came to Jesus, he healed me. O zaman dedim İsa'ya iman edeceğim. I said whoever saves me, I will believe in him. İsa Mesih'e iman ettim. I received Jesus into my life. Kutsal ruhtan yeniden doğdum. Uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Ve kötü ruhlar gitti. No more demons at all. Bir daha asla geri gelmedi. Never came back. İsa'ya yücelik olsun. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amin. Hakan will tell another story in a minute. He was saved from the darkness. I was saved from the darkness. You were saved from the darkness. Paul would say to us, remember. Remember where you came from. Never forget. We're here by the grace of God. The problem was that we were without hope and without God in the world. And if you don't know Jesus today, the Jesus that Hakan met is here to meet you. Set you free. We were all the other, the outsider, the enemy. Verse 13 of chapter 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Those verses are loaded. Let's walk through them. In verses 13 and 17, Paul talks about those far and near. This was common in Jewish writings to talk about those far away being the Gentiles, those far from God, and those near to God, of course, were the Jews. Moses could say, For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? Deuteronomy 4, 7. What was the problem for those who were far off and those who were near? There was a dividing wall of hostility in at least three ways. First of all, Jews and Gentiles, they despised each other. William Barclay writes the following, The Gentiles were an object of contempt to the Jews. The barrier between them was absolute. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl... Or if a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy, the funeral of that Jewish boy or girl was carried out. Such contact with the Gentile was the equivalent of death. And so socially they were separate, they were alienated. And then secondly, in their religious practice, the Jews, they separated themselves from the Gentiles. The dividing wall of hostility, it stood as a symbol I'll illustrate that for you. If you went to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, then the innermost sanctum, the innermost place was the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement. Removing yourself from the Holy of Holies, you would find yourself in the holy place, and there only the Levitical priests could enter. And then leaving the holy place, you would find yourself in the court of the priests. And then after the court of the priests, the court of Israel, where only the Jewish men could enter. And outside of the court of Israel, the court of the Jewish women. And then outside of the court of the Jewish women, the court of the Gentiles. And between the court of the Gentiles and the court of the Jewish women, there was a wall, the dividing wall of hostility, a stone wall. One and a half meters high. And so the Gentiles could approach the temple. They could observe it from a distance, but they could not enter. And there was a warning notice on this wall in Greek and in Latin. 
There's an example of it that was found in Turkey. It's in the um, museum in Istanbul, and it reads as follows. No foreigner may enter within the barrier and enclosure around the temple. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. Is that the message that God wanted to communicate to the Gentiles? You'll remember that when Paul entered the temple area in Acts chapter 21, a Jewish mob wanted to lynch him, kill him, because they thought that he had taken an Ephesian, a Gentile Ephesian, Trophimus, into the temple. And then third, there wasn't just a problem between Jews and Gentiles. People in general were at enmity with God. They were at odds with God, separate from him, because the Jews, even though they had the law, moral and ceremonial, they couldn't keep it, and they had not been reborn by the Spirit, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, all were spiritually dead. And what did Christ do? Well, Christ was the good news evangelist who came preaching peace to those far and near. He preached the good news of the kingdom. He healed the sick. He expelled demons. He was the kingdom of God present. He preached to the Jews, those near. He also preached to those who were far off, like the Samaritan woman and the Roman centurion, and even the criminal who hung beside him when he was on the cross. That person that would have been considered way outside of God's care, condemned. Jesus was free of the sinful human nature. He was free of the values of this world. He was never under the prince of the air. He was Isaiah 52, 7 par excellence. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And because he came as he did, the kingdom of God on earth, revealing the Father, healing the sick, expelling demons, preaching peace, what did the kingdoms of this world do to him? The Roman Empire and the Jewish establishment, they crucified him. They killed him. Verse 13, the blood of Christ. That phrase, the blood of Christ, it's shorthand for his death on the cross. Through his death on that shameful image of state terror, Jesus took down the wall of hostility. Paul's language is that he killed, he murdered the wall, <laughs> crushed it. That wall between God and us, Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Remember the veil that hung between the holy place and the holy of holies? When Jesus died, it was torn. And so if we are in Jesus, no matter where we come from, Jew or Gentile, Paul says in verse 18, in one spirit, we have access to the Father. We can actually enter the holy of holies, free access. No need to make a sacrifice, no need to beat ourselves, no need to do some work in order to merit hearing a prayer from, or God hearing a prayer from us. We actually can enter God's presence freely because of Jesus. How did Christ accomplish this? For he himself is our peace 
who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Again, in his flesh, through his death on the cross. Those laws that divided the Jews and the Gentiles. Sabbath laws, ritual laws of cleanliness, food laws. Everything that kept Jews and Gentiles separate came down in Jesus. He crushed the wall of hostility between between Jews and Gentiles. And so, no longer the accepted and the unaccepted, or the chosen and the ignored. Those that humble themselves before Jesus and accept his gift of salvation, they're included. They can freely enter. They have access in one spirit to the Father. What was Christ's intent? Verse 15 that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So his desire was to create one new man. That means one new humanity, a new people, a new society, where people were actually one. You see, if you had gone to Ephesus, as I said earlier, you would have found people from different parts of the world living side by side. There was peaceful coexistence. People in the same city working in the same places, but they didn't actually know each other. There were a few that were citizens, but not many. And those that were foreigners, they were reminded every day that they were not citizens in the city of Ephesus, not citizens of the Roman Empire. There was tolerance. It was good to be in the same city as long as they didn't harm each other, as long as they didn't interfere with each other. So was that what God had in mind when Jesus was sent to die for us? Was that the kind of reality that he had in mind, just peaceful coexistence and a bit of tolerance? He himself is our peace. Jesus is our peace. Peace is about knowing Jesus. If you're in relationship with Jesus, then you know peace. And when you are at peace, you're experiencing the peace of the Holy Spirit, then you can be at peace with the people around you. You can be one with them. Truly know them. There is no peace outside of Jesus. Galatians 3.28 There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so if we're in Jesus, human distinctions aren't removed. Hakan is still a Turk. I'm a Canadian, but we're one in Jesus. Jews are still Jews. Gentiles are still Gentiles. Men are still men. Women are still women. But in Jesus, we're one by the Spirit. Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker. Jesus himself is the peace. He has made us one with God and with each other. So today, people, no matter where they come from, no matter where they come from in life, no matter what they have done, if they have come to the cross, if they have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, no matter what their ethnicity, their national background, if they have come to Jesus, then they are one in Christ. Christ's intention was to create one new man, one new humanity, one new society. Now, do we live it? Are there still walls that exist today? Our world is so good at building walls between tribes, between castes, between social classes, between ethnicities, between nations. 
Hakan will tell us a story from Turkey. Hakan. Kutsal kitabı okuyan 2. Korintiler 5.18'de şöyle yazıyordu. 2 Corinthians 5.18 Tanrı bizi kendisiyle barıştırdı ve bize barıştırma görevini verdi. God reconciled us to himself and he has given the ministry of reconciliation. Rabbe sordum kimle barışmalı? Kim benim düşmanım? I asked the Lord who is my enemy? Ve o zaman Tanrı bana Ermenileri gösterdi. And he reminded me the Armenians. Çünkü 101 yıl önce 1.5 milyon Ermeni'yi Türkler öldürdü. Because my forefathers they killed one and a half million Armenians a hundred years ago. Ve topraklarını bıraktılar, evlerini bıraktılar, her şeylerini kaybettiler. Armenians they left they lost and left everything. Büyük acılar, büyük kayıplar var. A great suffering. Ve geçen sene ilk defa Los Angeles'a gittik 7 Türk pastörle birlikte. As a seven Turkish pastors We were in Los Angeles. Ve bizi bir Ermeni kilisesine götürdüler. And visited an Armenian church. Ve onlardan özür diledik. Asked for forgiveness. İlk defa bir Türkten özür duyuyorlardı Ermeniler. It was their first time to hear something like that, a Turk asking for um, forgiveness. İsa benim yüreğimi değiştirmişti ve onlara göndermişti. Jesus changed my heart and sent me to the Armenians. Toplantının sonunda bizi öne çıkarttılar ve insanlar bizi kucaklamaya geldi. At the end of the service, as seven Turkish pastors, we were in the front and they came to us. Ağlıyorlardı. Crying. Bizi bereketliyorlardı. They blessed us. Ve bir kadın yaşlı kadın yanıma geldi. Dedi ki oğlum bana bak. An old sister, she came to me. Dedi ki dedemi kestiniz. And said, you, you killed my grandfather. Evimi yaktınız. You burned my house. Her şeyimi kaybettim. I have lost everything. Biliyorum dedi ben Hristiyanım. I know I'm a Christian. 50 yıldır dua ediyorum Türkler için. I've been praying for Turks for 50 years. Ağzımla bereket ama yüreğim taş gibi değişmiyor dedi. Praying with my mouth but my heart is hardened just like a stone. Bugün ilk defa sizi duydum. Today I heard you. Kutsal üzerime geldi. Holy Spirit came upon me. Yüreğimdeki o taşları parçaladı ve döküldü gittiler dedi. Broke the stones in my heart. Dedi bugün özgürüm. I am free today. Dedi teşekkür ediyorum. Thank you my son. Ve bana sarıldı. He hugged, she hugged me. Tanrı o düşmanlığı yıktı. And Jesus um, crashed the walls between Armenians and Turks. Bizi birbirimize barıştırdı. And reconciled us to each other. Bu imkansızdı ama Rab bunu yaptı. It was something impossible but through Jesus He did that. Sonra Ermenistan'a gittik. 25 kişi Ermenistan'a gittik. Geçen as a, sene. As a 25 Turkish pastors, we visited Armenia Soykırımın, last year. Soykırımın 100. yılda anıtı ziyaret ettik. For the 100th anniversary of genocide. Orada da Ermenilerden özür diledik. We visited the memorial and asked for forgiveness again. Nefretin nasıl sevgiye döndüğünü gördüm. And I saw with my own eyes that how hatred Turn to peace. Two months ago, we were in Istanbul as Turkish and Armenian pastors again. Devam ediyoruz. So we want to continue. Barıştırmaya devam edeceğiz. Continue to reconcile to each other. Bizim için dua etmeye devam edeceğiz. So pray for us. Praise the Lord. Amen.
Şimdi Ermenistan'dayız, Elivan'da. Gördüğünüz gibi anıtı ziyaret ediyoruz. Ve inanılmaz bir duygu içindeyim. Yani 100. yıl Ermeni olaylarının bir Türk Hristiyan olarak buraya gelmek ve burada kardeşlerle birlikte bunu anmak gerçekten çok önemli bizler için. Rab bu iki halkı birleştirsin. Yani Mesih'te, Mesih'in çarmında bu iki halkı birleştirsin. Ve Rab'in lütfu egemen olsun. Her demiz siyaset değil ama gerçekten Rab bunu yapabilir. Rab bizi çarmıhta barıştırdı. Bugün özür dilemek için buradayız. Bugün Ermeni halkından, Ermeni kilisesinden, Türk kilisesinin üyeleri olarak kendimizi alçaltıyoruz ve atalarımızın yaptığı hatadan da değiştiremeyiz ama en azından özür dileyebiliriz. Bunu yapmak istiyoruz. Rab hepinizi bereketlesin. Amin. Tanrı bizimle birlikte. İleriye umutla bakıyoruz. We are looking to the future with hope. Bize katılın. Join us. Bir dua edin bizim için. Pray for us. Çünkü aynı babanın çocuklarıyız. Because we're the children of the same father. Aynı amaç için uğraşıyoruz. We're here for the same reason. Biz kadınlar ve erkekler, Ermeniler ve Türkler birlikteyiz. and men, Armenians and Turks are here together. Devam ediyoruz. We're continuing. Siz de devam edin. And you also continue. The Lord bless you all. And fill you all with the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm uh, personally challenged by this story. I've met Armenians in big population in Brazil, California, other parts of the world. This is a true story, story of pain. And so to see what Jesus is doing in bringing Turkish and Armenian Christians together and forgiving each other and saying, we're one in Jesus, the wall has come down. Pray for our brother Hakan. He will be going back to Turkey shortly. His name appeared in the Turkish newspapers this last week again. He was referred to as being a dangerous man in Turkey. So let's cover him in prayer. Pray for his family. Here for us at Willingdon, what do we want? Do we want the Greek form of peace? Where there's just peaceful coexistence, where there's tolerance, or do we want the kind of oneness that Jesus talked about, where people actually know each other, they relate to each other, they walk as brothers and sisters, they love each other, they forgive each other? What steps are you and I taking to be the people of God that Jesus died for? To be that one new man, that one new people. Why did he make us one? Look at verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. 
in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So verse 19, Paul says, so then or, or therefore. Again, he's building on what he's already said. He's summing up the whole argument and he says, you, you're no longer strangers and aliens, you Gentiles. No, you've been welcomed in. You're a part of the kingdom of God. You are fellow citizens. You, don't, you aren't here with an immigration card. You actually have a birth certificate. You're in the kingdom. And then he shifts metaphors and he shifts to the family even more intimate. And he says, you are now brothers and sisters with the same father. You are in the family, born into it. Part of the household of God. You belong here. And then he shifts metaphors again and he starts talking about what God is building. He talks about a holy temple built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And so they communicated Christ's teachings. We have those teachings written in the New Testament. They serve as the foundation documents and Jesus is the cornerstone. The cornerstone, of course, it it steadies the whole building. It stabilizes it. It's part of the foundation, essential to it. And every living stone, every stone that is added to the building is aligned with it. The cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows. And so Paul's talking about an elaborate building process where stones are are rubbed, they're cut, they're tested, they're prepared so that they might be fit together. And Jesus is the one doing the work. He's the master builder. In him you also are being built together. The, Jew, the Gentiles aren't just being admitted. They're actually becoming a part of the building. Peter will refer to them as living stones. Full of the Holy Spirit, a growing temple. This is dynamic. So the stones that were once rejected are now an integral part of the temple. Day by day, God is building, fitting the pieces together with people from all nations, languages, and people groups, and it's for a purpose. Why? Why is God fitting us together? (laughs) He's fitting us together so that he might dwell among us, so that he might settle down and reside among his people, so that he might be at home, that we might be the house of God, a living, holy temple, It's all about the presence of God. We are full members of the new people where God dwells. That's why Jesus saved us. That's why he knit us together. So that God might be at home with us. God present. Every time we gather his manifest presence with us. There was that temple to Artemis in Ephesus. One of the seven wonders of the world. Magnificent structure. Unbelievable engineering feat. Did God want to build something like that in Ephesus again with a new name? When God comes to earth now, if we were to imagine God is everywhere, but if we were to imagine him visiting India, where would he go to find a wonder? Would he go to the Taj Mahal? Or if God were to go to China, would he look for the Great Wall of China? He could see that from space. Is that what he would look for? The wall that was actually built to keep the Mongolians out. If he went to Peru, would he look for Machu Picchu? 
Would he consider to be a wonder what we put on the list of wonders? If he went to Egypt, would he go to the pyramids at Giza and say, wow, look at what they built. Behind each of those wonders, there's a story of enslavement and suffering. When God looks at the world today, what does he consider to be a wonder? What Paul is saying in Ephesians 2 is that the great wonder of the world is the church. (laughs) It is this family of faith, this international community where people from all over the world, from every ethnicity you can imagine, people have come to faith in Jesus and they are now one. They've been united by the Spirit of God and they all together have access into the Father's presence. That is the wonder. And when people truly love each other, Jesus says the world will believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life. When Armenians and Turks are able to forgive each other, that is a miracle of grace. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10 that that is a testimony even to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places because they have no way to explain that outside of Jesus. Do we understand what God has called us to? You and I individually, God's masterpiece, God has good works for us to do. There's a reason for us to be alive. And there's a reason for us to be the church in our day. To be this wonder of God on earth. To be united, to love each other, to walk together, to be on mission together for the glory of God, for the praise of his glory. You know, the building's unfinished. Sometimes it's kind of rough. God's building it with restored materials, (laughs) you and us. We've all come from the darkness and we're being transformed into the image of Christ as we walk with Jesus, as we walk with each other. We're being knit together for the glory of God. And this is music to God's ears. This is music to God's ears. What a joy to be God's house. A people where God is pleased to dwell. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's sing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.